Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. We're delighted to be joined by Jacqueline Vicker today, whose many credentials include organic herb grower, a successful gardening author, as well as a consultant and judge for the Royal Horticultural Society. Jekka, welcome to Digit. And where do we find you on this uh, not-so-bad middling June day? What do you mean, not bad? It's <laughs> been pouring with rain, it's howling a gale, and it's cold, and I've still got my vest on. Oh, gosh. I, mean, <laughs> I am so bored with this year's weather. It's just awful. The spring was terrible, and I'm not having a summer, So, um, mm. but it's dry, but it, then it's really wet. But it rains too hard, so it just runs off. Nah, no. bad year. You know, gardeners, we're never happy, but are I'm, we? <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm sitting, in the, I'm sitting in the school at the moment because uh, it's so windy outside. So I'm down on the nursery this morning. I've been taking salvia lavandulifolia cuttings because uh, like a true nurseryman, I'm getting ready for next year. Mm. I, was just, I was saying to, to Peter the first time I saw... One of your wonderful herb gardens was back at the BBC Gardener's World, which obviously is this month. But, but that was the, the back in the 1990s. And uh, I was... Yep, the first one was 1993. Mm-hmm. And I was at the very first one where we had tents, oh, very right. small marquees. Mm-hmm. And the, there were three marquees. And I'll never forget seeing Stephen Bennett absolutely wet through we were on the car park and the water running through the the tents was immense oh uh, but it was such good such good atmosphere those days of the shows were just wonderful we rolled from one show to the next and all the nurserymen were like yeah we all supported each other our children grew up on the circuit because health and safety wasn't there and so you know everybody knew everyone it was wonderful in those days yeah it sounds like a big big family really an rhs family because yeah. then it was i think yeah. rhs run wasn't it so before it changed because i think it's to start off with it was definitely very plant orientated mm. slightly less commercial than maybe it is now yeah 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 like a lot of things now indeed <laughs> <laughs> that's another story so where no, Jack, can i ask how did your fascination of herbs take you into growing herbs and making a successful career out of herbs Well, it was pure fluke. Um, I was at home. My children are a year gap between them, or just over a year, 14 months. And um, I was on my own because my parents didn't live nearby. And my husband was then working in space. He was a spacecraft engineer. And he was in French Guiana launching satellites. So I was at home with the tinies Mm. and uh, in a semi-detached. And a girlfriend of mine came in and said, oh, can I have some French tarragon because I'm doing an Elizabeth David recipe. And that day, it's absolute truth, I was sitting there writing lists of things I could do from home with small children because I'd come from a very active career before, but in those days it was very difficult to get childminding and there was very few nurseries around that would take tiny. So, yeah, I really was at home and... uh, yeah, let Ruth help herself. And I thought, whoa, I can grow that. No one can buy French tarragon. French tarragon in you know the 1980s was not in garden centers. Yeah. Um, they only had the seed raised stuff and I knew how to grow it from cuttings. So I, by the time my husband came back, I changed 
his wardrobes where he had his suits and stuff into cold frames. <laughs> and um, I'm my first major customer, and I bought the Vegman's van, which was called Sid, and it's doors opened. You know, do you remember the ones that slid open? Okay, so yeah, yeah, you yeah. could They're literally have doors, the wind yeah. blowing. Yeah, I mean, you're, they're illegal now, and uh, it was it was fantastic. I used to drive around with the wind doors open, and my two children strapped in on the front seat um, <laughs> doing deliveries. But Brilliant. my first major customer was Fortnum and Mason. Okay. And when I when I came back, um, when my husband came back from French Guiana, I had orders stretched from the front door to the back door in our semi in the boxes from the veg man, you know, he sold recycled boxes. Yeah. And he he I he said, Well either you stop or we move. And we found this derelict cottage that looked very unloved in this lane, um, just up from my uncle's farm and found out that it belonged to an estate and it was for sale and it was going into sealed envelopes. Mm-hmm. So we put as much as we could possibly put on the sealed envelope and wrote a case history for what we would do, and we got it. Brilliant. That was a shock, because <laughs> it was totally derelict. So we've got a mobile home, stuck the kids and myself in that, and off my husband went back to out to Europe, leaving me with the tinies in, a, in that. And the, oh, I, it was a long story, but anyway, that's how it all started. Wow. And I was always peep-free. Okay. That's right from the word go. So, with regards to the peat freeness, have you always made your own compost? No, um, I've always. Um, well, first of all, I started with just coir because right. I'd done a lot of research into how the Victorians grew herbs and 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 pot plants, and that was in coir. And um, so, I used to go around and find out. Used to drive them mad at the um, wholesale plant. You know the where they sell all the stuff and um, going to the wholesalers and saying, oh, can I have some peachy? I know you're going to cause a disease. I got him accused that I would cause listeria. I mean, because I was using peachy. Anyway, um, and now for the last 25 years, I've been with one compost guy who makes my mix for me. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And now, now the world is catching up, Jacker, isn't it? Yeah, but the trouble is I would actually like some peat compost some proper viable, which you can get peat compost, because I use in my glasshouse carnivorous plants yep. for catching the scarid and for identing white fly. Yeah, you know, when I when my glasshouse gets out of balance um, before I introduce predators, and it's really you know it's sad that the carnivorous boys can't get good you know sphagnum peat, which is of course re- re- quite renewable. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the problems. There are a few plants like that that yeah. have naturally grow in peat. I know a lot of plants don't grow in peat, but it will grow in peat when you sow them and what have you. But the things like the carnivorous plants obviously come from peat bogs, bogs and yeah, yeah, it's you think, well, source, surely there must be a case for them yeah. being able to be grown in peat. I think there's such a big debate within the gardening trade, though, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, you know, why not? You know, as we know, you know, horticulture only uses what was it, five percent of the peat, and you know, a lot of it is, as we know, burnt. Yes, it's um, yeah, but you know, just put a tax, a bit, bit of extra tax on it, and you know, have a limited amount available to to home gardeners and 
professionals, maybe. Maybe that's the way to go. But, but for specialist plants. Indeed, mm. yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, not for the yeah. wool and sundry. I mean, you know, when I, I got told the other day, lavender will only grow in peat, and I thought, <laughs> no, I don't think it does in France, does it? No. <laughs> the lavender fields out there. Yeah. They've got no, no, or, or, nor, nor in, in, in Spain and Portugal, yeah. where it goes wild. Excellent. So, anyway, there you go. In your eyes, Jekyll, what is a herb? And are vegetables herbs, or what's the division yeah, well, lines? Yeah, stop, 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 stop. Yeah. Okay. The word vegetable is modern. It was introduced into our vocabulary in about the 16th century, okay. 1700s. Before that, everything was known as a pot herb, not because it grew in a pot, but because it went in the one pot over the open fire. Remember, uh, I mean, it's not so that long term. since we've had hobs. Yep. Yeah. Mm. So, we, you know, everything, was, if you go back in time, was cooked in the one pot over the fire, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, and they is. bunged in the, the cooney, the rabbit, the mm-hmm. herb. Yeah. You know, just read Tolkien, you know, anybody. That's, that's how it was. And so everything before the word vegetable was invented was a herb. And a herb is any plant that is of benefit to man. It's not herbaceous, which a lot of people think, because otherwise you wouldn't have bay trees in it, would you? No, or rosemary. Nope. So um, it is a plant that is of benefit to man, that is the Oxford Dictionary. And then you start looking at actually which part of the plant is the herb, and then is it, when is it a spice? A spice is dead. That's how I, I, I say if it's a spice, it's dead. Okay. If it's a herb, it could be living, so that you can find an easy line between the two. Then you get dried herbs. Well, what are they? They are actually <laughs> nearer a spice than they are dried herbs. I can rabbit on about this for yonks, but it doesn't matter. What is, what is a herb? It is a plant that is of benefit to man and animals and birds and insects. It is part of our chain and it is a very important part of our chain. Mm-hmm. Jeff, on, on your actual nursery, you, you do obviously follow very sustainable um, organic principles and you, the plants you grow and cultivate are the ones which are well known in our wonderful English climate. <laughs> Maybe not this June though. Can you tell us how you feel how this is important? I've always been organic, right from the word go. Not, I'd read Anne Balfour's book, so that mm-hmm. was one of the reasons. The other reason was the fact that um, I had two tiny children and I didn't want to have to answer the telephone and then reach for something they shouldn't eat. Right. I also didn't want to grow plants that weren't useful, so herbs you know, really fulfilled all my briefs. And I'm a passionate cook and always have been. Um, and really, herbs are the sort of orchestral notes. Mm. Yeah, they're the, they're the frill, they're the high notes, they're the thing that give a, a, a movement the depth, the, the flavor. So being organic and also teaching my children about how we're part of this really important chain was part of it's always been part of my life so you know if you kill the white fly or the green fly who's what the green fly is being eaten by the blue tits and therefore the blue tits now don't have food do, do you understand mm, it's all part of the I chain isn't to it explain mm. all this yeah and so we are part of that chain yeah, we are. and so for me being organic was much more than the sum of the parts 
So when the Soil Association, bless their cotton socks, said that I couldn't sell stevia as organic because it fell under the new um, novel food thing where you have to pay VAT on novel foods, I did lose it a bit and said, well, you've certified the whole nursery here and you've certified my medicinal plants, a lot of which will kill you. And they said, it doesn't matter, you can't sell stevia, it's organic. And I said, well, stevia is going to do so much good uh, for the population. And it's also, you know, if you think Coca-Cola are growing acres of it mm. to add to Coke and things like this, it is so important. And they said, no, you can't. So I said, right, I won't have a symbol anymore. But that has not ever stopped me following organic principles because the soil as everyone is learning now, is the engine of of the garden. It is the engine of your pot. So when you raise herbs in pots, you must, after eight weeks of potting, feed them. And you must feed them on Fridays. People say, oh, well, you don't need to feed herbs. They like it rough. No, if you're going to be cropping it, you need to feed it. Indeed. And so we use um, maxi crop here I'm on so- Fridays. On Fridays. Every <laughs> food, every Friday, yeah. Feeding days Friday. Oh, I bet you look forward to that. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, so do you think, um, uh, is that sort of shape, that sort of ethos you've had, Jack, has that sort of uh, determined the sort of the, the, the plants and the varieties of, of herbs you've grown over the years? Nope. Okay. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, I mean, it hasn't stopped me. That's the whole point. It yeah. hasn't stopped me. So I've grown, mm-hmm. I've grown um, Australian herbs. I've grown... Uh, European herbs, I've grown African herbs, I've grown Thai herbs. Yeah, I've grown herbs from all around the world here. They've all landed up here via various routes. And I've been lucky enough to lecture on ships, you know, and so I've taken people from Bangkok to Mumbai by boat and therefore stopped off at all these wonderful islands and in India and things and then met the botanic gardens and under license, the botanic gardens have sent me stuff. I've lectured in Australian and the Botanic Garden says sent me seeds under license. So I've always been very lucky and have had the most amazing life through horticulture and through herbs. Excellent. Brilliant. So what about for our our listeners to dig it? Would you have any tips on the type of compost you could use to grow your herbs at home? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're growing at home, Please get a potting compost, if you can, a peat-free potting compost, not a multi-purpose. Because the great thing about potting compost is they'll have extra nutrients in and they'll also hopefully have some substrate, which is what compost is, because most of the potting compost you buy is actually not composted, it's a substrate, it's a mix. And... Um, they'll have something which holds the water. The, the difficulty people find with peat-free compost is watering because a lot of them, if they're using coir, they'll hold water, but if coir dries out, it's really difficult to get it rewatered. And my top tip for anyone growing herbs at home is water in the morning before you go to work, not when you come home, especially with peat-free compost because when the plant needs the water is now. The sun's actually come out here now. So it needs water now. And when you get, if you water when you come in from home, we're having temperatures still, even in June, dropping down to 9, 10 at night. Well, if you've got basil on the go, it will sulk. 
you know, if you water it when you uh, late at night when you get in after you've sort of had your tea, it it's no good. It really isn't. You must water in the morning and and let it be. That's a great bit of advice, isn't it? So uh, yeah, hold hold back and. First, before you trot off to work or take the children to school. <laughs> That's it. Make or, sure yeah. you get up early yeah. enough yeah. to water the plants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jackie, very quickly, you mentioned uh, before about using maxi crop. Are we talking about the, the seaweed extract there? Just to call yes. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah. I, I, love, I love using, because herbs don't need nitrogen you know, as much as some other plants, but they do need nutrient. And it's just like us taking multivitamins. And when you when you have a plant in a pot, it, very quickly the roots will take up the pot space. So you're actually, if you don't feed it, it's living on love and water, which means it'll be just very thin, which is no good if you're wanting, like me, to use lots of herbs in cooking. So therefore, you must feed. And that maxi crop or something like that, what it will do is it will actually give the plant its nutrients, but it won't make it soft. Uh, so that you get attacked by pests and disease. And also, it actually makes the plant stronger and helps it resist pests and disease. Oh, very good, by the way. I've suddenly thought of something which I'm sure you stock, which is really good for growing herbs in, and that's carbon gold. Right, yeah, it's, it's a product I'm familiar with. It's actually one we don't stock at the garden centre, actually. Yeah, oh, but that, but right. yeah, yeah, That's fine, <laughs> yeah. no, but it's, it is out there, I know, and uh, it's, it is available. So is that something you would okay, well, advocate? You, you, can cut that, you, you can cut that out. <laughs> no, it's good. And how has your nursery developed from its starting points to where it is now? I mean, obviously you told us about the, the story of being herbs from the front door to the back door and repurposing okay. your husband's um, wardrobe. So where else have you explored growing? Right, well, when... Okay, when I, when I started, I was wholesale only because of the children. Okay. And, and in 1992, we had a very, very hot summer, and I couldn't sell my herbs. And then the nursery next door to me was Noel Kingsbury, Sunbeam Nursery. And Noel said, stop moaning, go and uh, exhibit at the RHS. Now, the RHS to me was like the Holy Grail because my great uncle was, you know, very involved with it. He was professor of pathology at Bristol. And I thought, oof, anyway, I couldn't sell my plants, so I rang up. And I got into the autumn show, the October show. And in those days, you had to sell, um, you couldn't sell your plants until you got a silver medal. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It it was really, really strict because there was such a queue to get into the RHS shows. And in those days, it was only Chelsea or the halls. And there wasn't any other shows. And, uh, anyway, I got my silver medal uh, first go, which was stunning because it was October, which is very mm. difficult for her. Mm. And at the same time, this wonderful lady, all five foot three of her, Mavis Sweetingham, Sweetingham Steps at Chelsea. Mavis Sweetingham came up to me and said, Jekka, we'd like you to apply to exhibit at Chelsea. So I looked at the person next door to me and they nodded. So I said, yes, Mavis. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And then the girl next door to me said, you never say no to Mavis. And I rang from a call box because remember there were no um, before mobile phones. My husband, <laughs> yeah, to my husband and said, "I'm 
just been asked to exhibit at Chelsea. Um, um, I've said yes, because I was told you shouldn't say no. What are we going to do with the children? <laughs> and um, <laughs> you know, Forget the fact that my husband actually worked full time in space. Anyway, so that's the, how the nursery evolved, because suddenly we were doing shows. Fantastic. And it wasn't just one show. The RHS started the shows that day, so we did um, Chelsea, then BBC, and then Hampton Court. Wow. That was the first year that the RHS sponsored Hampton, 1993. So my whole life suddenly changed on the nursery. We were growing for show, and we were trying to do wholesale, and we weren't doing mail order. So after two years, I dropped wholesale and started mail order and started the shows really seriously and having show plants, et cetera, et cetera, and really getting into the swing of how you put an exhibit together and and so on and so forth. And then uh, I hated mail order, <laughs> hated it with a vengeance because I was offering my whole catalog mail order, very stupid, um, because you don't have basil available all year round. So you were holding orders till the basil was ready, then the plants mm. gone over. <sighs> anyway, right. I, I learned a lot. Big mistake. And then, so I dropped mail order and just did shows. And then I, in 2009, I was meant to be doing a show garden with somebody. And then the sponsors pulled out at Christmas, and I'd spent a whole year growing these plants for this garden. Oh and it, it would have meant I would have gone under. I really was teetering yeah. on the brink of going under. This is 2000 and, and what it was 2008 going into 2009. I rang the RHS, and they said, sorry, Jacko, the uh, floor marquee's full. On January the 6th, engraved on my heart, uh, 2009, um, Alex rang me and said, Jekka, not cuts, can't do Chelsea. Um, please, could you do Chelsea? So I said, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, any sponsors? No. So, but I'd grown all these plants. And so my husband and I, on our Todd, put this huge stand together and I had a water reel down the middle, which is where I took Borage, the gnome. Mm, and it's wow. only this bit of light entertainment, you know, while on build-up. It was nothing, you know, <laughs> I just had a, a gnome fishing in the reel. Um, anyway, we put the put the display up. Uh, the gnome got spotted. Whoa, we got <laughs> a lot of publicity. Oh, yeah. Um, it went ballistic. Um, and that was that exhibit that uh, I sold everything off at the end for the first time. Yeah, because, because wonderful Beth Chateau came up to me and said, Jekka, this garden, this display you put on is absolutely fantastic. Quit at the top. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, okay. And I did. Mm -hmm. Well, that was our last, that was our last floral exhibit. Excellent. And um, and for that we got the Lawrence Medal, um, which was our which was first for herbs, first for organics, first for peat free, Fantastic. and uh, it, has, it hasn't been repeated. Um, and it was such a huge honour. I mean, such a huge honour because it's remember I'm 
been a judge and it was judged by the judges and the, all the judges get together and then choose the best in the in the year. So it's it was such an accolade. That's fantastic. And then from that of that wonderful inspiration, you know, you've given to to countless gardeners from from you know from that and from your other show works as well. Well, in 2016, I did a show garden for St. John's Hospice. Mm. And I was also doing a garden with St. Mungo's in London, sponsored by um, oh, Candles. Um, Joe Malone. <laughs> Sorry, I had a senior moment. Um, yeah, and uh, so I was doing, doing the two gardens at the same time. And uh, I, I learned such a lot it was a really really um an amazing experience doing a chelsea garden and doing the garden with the homeless guys who gave me such an insight into how powerful horticulture and gardening is and uh, it was just amazing it both those experiences together just phenomenal they sound fantastic now you know as you say Quit while you're ahead, but uh, yeah, what wonderful memories and, and obviously a lot of building of, of good uh, faith for the future, future endeavours as well. It surely, surely must help. Well, we're, we're, we're changing again now as I speak. Um, my son is slowly taking over the business and I'm now the propagator. Back, I'm back to full circle. I'm back to propagating. Mm. So I'm the full-time propagator. We've reduced the nursery down by two-thirds. Um, and I'm building a huge herb garden here uh, in the figure eight, symbol of infinity. Yep. And um, each petal within the figure of, of the circle of eight, you know, the two circles, yep. um, I am actually putting a flower in each one, and each petal will be a different planting plan because people don't know how to put herbs together, um, you know, in a, in a garden sense. So oh, from my experience of exhibiting, my experience of putting gardens together, I'm now going to create this garden. We've been held up a bit because of COVID, because um, our metal edging was wrong, and then the guy got COVID and everything. But uh, yes, so it's, it's, I'm very excited, and it'll take the nursery into much more of an educational place than it is now. Mm-hmm. And just thinking a bit about the herbs that you're putting together, I think that'll be a fantastic way for the public, presumably, to come and have a look at how to create a nice-looking herb garden. Well, it, you see, each petal is two, basically two metres by six metres. Okay, so the size of some people's garden. Yeah, So and then, but also there are there's the smaller ones, I think, are four metres by two metres. Okay. So they're, they're smaller. No, four by 1.5. So I've got, yeah, the two sizes. And it's, but it gives people ideas of what, could, like, and I'm going to do an annual bed, a, a shady bed, yeah, a cropping bed, right. an edible flower bed, and things like this. Yeah, plenty of ideas for people to be inspired there. Um, thinking back, you mentioned, we mentioned obviously COVID and the pandemic. So how has the last couple of years sort of impacted on the business and the demand for plants? Well, the first lockdown was the demand for seed because everyone really was locked down. So we were hand-packing, when we hand-pack our seeds anyway, but we were hand-packing around the, around the candles at night trying to get the orders out. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, was, it was 
phenomenal. Um, and then we came up with Sea Kids and, and you know, mail order online. And I then started doing herb boxes so people could order, um, you know, herbs of my choice to send out mail order. So that went really well. Um, and then we did click and collect from the gate. So we were really busy. What really hit us and is unforgivable, really, is the government in January of last year, I'm getting all my years muddled up, but I'm pretty sure last year, decided nurseries were not essential mm. and closed us and kept garden centres open. Yeah. Yeah. And that really hit us because we lost a second um, Easter. Yeah. And that really was so cruel. I mean, so cruel. How can you say a nursery is not essential um, and a garden centre is essential? I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand the difference. I think there were a lot of businesses that were hit like that, weren't yeah, there, that yeah. felt that it really, they should be it really, yeah. It really did hit us. But this year, oh, my gosh, because the big nurseries obviously furloughed their staff, we didn't, um, They then we've had to try and keep up with the demand for plants. And of course, I've shrunk the nurseries. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've been running to stand still to try and keep everything going. And I mean, the demand for plants just before Chelsea was ridiculous. We we were sending plants up to London for Chelsea, you know, on the Friday before judging on the Saturday. Wow. Okay. Bonkers. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, things like the RHS have a rule: you see, you can't have uh, rosemary from Europe unless it's been in the country so long. And of course, I grow masses of rosemaries here. So we haven't got any big rosemaries left. So please don't ask. <laughs> yeah, they've all gone. They've all gone. <laughs> they've all gone, yeah. So, no, I mean, it's, it is, it is. but also the other thing that's happened, people actually are very aware of self-health. And so herbs have really come into their own from a health and well-being point of view. Things like rosemary have now started being scientifically proven to restore the memory. And also help you through low mood and if you suffer from sad in January and February and things like this. There's a lot of science going into herbs at the moment. And so, and Q have been doing matters of research. So it's a very exciting time to be in herbs. But unfortunately, I'm the wrong side of the age now. So I've got to slow down somewhat, which I'm not, but I have to somewhere. Excellent. And are you finding customers are asking more about the medicinal properties of plants, more so than yep. the food side of plants? No, no, no. Food, food still wins, yeah. definitely. Uh, <clears throat> but um, definitely people are curious about herb teas, things that they can simply make that can give you an uplift. Yep. And especially as our population is getting older, um, how beneficial gardening is for the ageing population. Mm. There's been a lot of that, and I've been working with companies on that as well. Because, it, you know, I mean, I'm of that age, but my memory is useless at names of people, but I'm still really good at plants <laughs> and plant families and all the rest of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it keeps my mind very much alive and I'm very aware of the seasons. And, you know, it, it, being older, you appreciate, actually, plants even more. 
I'm just thinking, Peter. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, I, have, I have digestive issues, and I'm, I'm a big fan of using sort of ginger in, in sort of herbal teas. Yep. Have you found, Jack, that there's been a, a more resurgence in, you know, for stress, especially and uh, anxiety over the last couple of years? Is that a been yeah? A um, anxiety, anxiety is an in- interesting one. Yes, I mean a lot more anxiety, especially with dementia. People get anxious, and anxiety is a great thing. So, Q, we was doing research into lemon balm lister officinalis and they found out that it didn't help with the alzheimer's or dementia but it did really help with anxiety so lemon balm tea if you're anxious is really really good but it doesn't taste particularly good so i mix it with basil so basil at this time of year is absolutely superb it's the year of basil by the way if you hadn't twigged and i think i've got about eight different basils on the go um and it it's it makes the most superb tea basil Mm, you just so you've got your five leaves of lemon balm and then you stick in about three leaves of basil something like um what was the one i had last night batik was it oh that was good was it batik I can't remember. It was fun or dolcelati or something. It was it was superb and it just lifts. I didn't have lemon balm. I was using the basil, but basil basil tea calms the stomach. So if you have a stomach problem, try basil tea because it really does. It's it's first cousins with um with uh first cousins with mint. Okay. Basil is so um, you you have the same properties in basil that you have in mint, but mint can be too aggressive on some people's stomachs. So I say anyone over sixty should always mix spearmint and peppermint. Never drink peppermint straight on its own because that can be too much of a stimulant. But again, um, at this time of year, I will drink basil tea as a digestive. Thank you. Yeah, there we go. Can you recommend any books that you sort of use or turn to when thinking about medicinal issues and give our listeners an idea of where they might be able to find some good resources for this sort of information? Annie McIntyre, uh, Simon, Simon, Annie McIntyre and Simon Mills are my two heroes for medicinal. Um, what is interesting is that we teamed up with the National Institute of Medicinal Herbalists. Okay. And uh, they write our medicinal notes on our website in our Jacobedia. Yep. Because I'm not a herbalist. Yeah, because it's quite a different train of uses for the herbs, isn't it? it, it, it whereas with food, yeah. you can put them so in. Simon and... Mills is exactly Simon Mills is to me the absolute. Uh, if we had a herb fest here last year, where we had herbalists, garden designers, and chefs over three days last July, and we're going to have one, not this year, but next year when the herb, the herb garden's done. And uh, listening to Simon talk was just magic about the herbs, I mean, the the herbs you've got in your kitchen cupboard that can actually help you, mm. like turmeric and ginger and things like this. Yeah, because I, I recently discovered turmeric is very good for joints and also sort of dieting. And I, I'd never come across, I've always been using it in cooking, but I'd never really realised it had other sort of medicinal uses. It's brilliant, isn't it? Oh my it? gosh, yes. Absolutely fantastic. Well, you know, again, um, I'm metal down one side, so arthritis and, 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 and rheumatism in the, in the uh, winter months with my metal leg is really difficult. Yeah. So, yeah, turmeric. 
anti-inflammatory, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Excellent. Uh, Jekka, what sort of advice would you give to someone maybe thinking about starting their own herb garden? Is there sort of, you know, sort of some, some secrets of success you'd, you'd sort of suggest they, they you know, follow from your... your uh, yes, I would say to them, only grow what you're going to use. Herbs by their nature have been used since man since man's been on this earth. If you think that dill and coriander are over 2,000 years old, okay. they're found in Tutankhamun's tomb, so therefore they've survived that long, and that you know, it shows how they self-seed and how they survive. So only use, only grow what you're going to use. So, for instance, I love all the Mediterranean herbs. I love Mediterranean cooking. So if you look outside my back door, I've got mint, because the spearmint is a Mediterranean herb. And I've got, you know, oregano and things so that I don't have to run down to the farm to pick. So it, it is, it always have at hand what you're going to use. Have the garden as close as you can to your kitchen. Because if it's raining, you're not going to go out <laughs> and pick something at the bottom of the garden. Uh, if you can't do that, always put your top herbs that you must have in a, in a uh, pot next door to your kitchen door. Anything that you have in a pot and you put against the, a wall, you cut down your rainfall by 25%. So bear that in mind. Um, remember, water in the morning, never in the evening, if it's pot grown, and feed on Friday. Mm. I was just thinking, obviously thinking outside, but what about sort of indoors for people, you know, restricted space or want to grow a few no. things? Is, is, it, is it easier? Well, the, the trouble with, mm. no, the, okay, the, the trouble with herbs inside, as they, I've said, that they are basically wild plants that we're taming. They really mm. are. Mm. You know, they've survived this long. They get very leggy and very soft inside. Right. So they're only good as a cut and come again. So yes, you can sow them, and but you can then they're great as cress herbs, and you can now get these kits, can't you, from this IKEA, isn't it? Um, where where you've got lights in, not to grow cannabis, but to actually grow you know, your cut and come again herbs. So, yeah, that's great. You know, so it's rather like growing cress, as I did as, as a child. Yep. You can grow anything you like, coriander, dill, that you keep chopping, mm. um, fine. But anything else, forget it. Yeah. No, it's a waste, waste yeah. of your money. Yeah. And it also makes you depressed when you kill a plant. Well, it does me. Mm. It's always disappointing, it is. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. All that effort. And, yeah. 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 And what are your top three bestsellers at the nursery? I can't actually answer that easily. Um, We were featured in a TV program, which was then repeated three times. So at the moment, I'm selling a lot of Szechuan pepper. Okay. So this year, year it's the year of the Szechuan pepper. Um, But... My exotic basils will sell like, I'm open this weekend, this Friday and Saturday, they'll sell like mad. Right. So I grow lemon basil, Thai basil, cinnamon basil, Greek basil, piccolo basil, uh, you, you name it, basil, purple basil, red rubin basil, Mrs. Burns basil. Um, mint is always a good seller. We grow 42 different mints. Thymes are always very good. We grow 72 different thymes. Wow. And and you know that I breed herbs as well. So I have bred over the last 38 years. I've got now six times yep. that I've bred. Yes. Um, and I've got uh, two rosemaries, 
and I've got my first mint, which I'm really proud of, um, which is not a currently mint, by the way. It's one for attracting um, predators, hoverflies. Perfect. Um, and, you know, so really to say, oh, what's my best sellers? I have no idea. Quite often, it, it, it is literally, it could be what's in flower when they come yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you 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 run a garden centre, but guys, you you know yeah. you've got something looking gorgeous and sexy in the in the in the beds, you know, because it's in flower. People It'll pick fly it up out. And I mean, fly out. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. I've got I've I've got some time at the moment, but it's called Jekka's Purple Haze. That's, I, I did, until I had St Mungo's here giving me a hand the other day. I didn't realise that I was talking about drugs, but there you go. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I've got Jekka's Purple Haze in, in the garden. So in, it, that's looking absolutely stunning in flower and they're there for sale. Yeah, so it... It, it, it depends what's looking good, really, I suppose, and what's goes, in goes season. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, uh, goes to the season. Yeah, it goes to the season. I was saying one, one thing we do get asked, Jekka, is, is, you know, people who've got limited space have got a... They get themselves a nice terracotta pot. Then you think, oh, what two or three herbs can I put together? Is there any any rules, uh, any thoughts on on selecting those those? So there, there has, look, 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 gardening is not about rules. I'm I really get quite wound up that you know we have to follow mm-hmm. rules. If I say I'm staring at one of my pots now that I've done outside, I've got a lavender, I've got a thyme, I've got a red amaranth, and I've got. Princess of India, uh, nasturtium, and I've got um, Prince of India, marigold, the one with the beautiful deep um, calendula with the mm. deep colours underneath. Sounds fabulous. So I've got that in the pot. So I've got yeah. colour, I've got uh, edible, I've got, you know, it's sky's the limit. I always like to put annuals in so that mm. the perennials will take over that space next year. Yeah, mm-hmm. So, um, so that's exciting. Um, and, and obviously I've got tomatoes in pots as well. What else have I got in a pot? Um, that's, that's it. I, I mean, yeah, you can put, you can put three different times together. That's really nice. Uh, especially if you have them, uh, flowering at different, um, excuse the pun, times of year. <laughs> so you could start with, um, uh, orange scented is one of the earliest to flower, orange scented in Porlock. Um, you could then have um, what's in Flana. Some of the Vulgarises are in Flana, like Compact or Italian, they're in Flana. And then the later ones are things like the Wild Creeping, that's later. Or I've got some which flower in autumn. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite a few. That sounds good. I think, yeah, any, anything goes when it comes down to personal choices. I think that's the thing, isn't it? People it is. can get yes. very... Uh, but make sure... Make sure you put in a good potting compost. Mm. Remember, even though it's in a pot, get the engine right and that will look after the plant. And feed it every Friday. That's That's good. Excellent. And when you're sort of harvesting your herbs, is it best to use like secateurs or the little snips or are you one of these people who just rip rip them to pieces? No, no. (laughs) One of my chefs used to go at his... I'm a verbena with a machete, and I cried every time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
Yeah, darling chap. Um, no, no, I, 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 I have snips. I, I use snips. I don't use secateurs to to prune. Um, unless it's a woody one, but yeah, yeah on on average, ninety nine percent of the time, I'm using snips. And I'll always cut down to the new shoots where it's shooting so it can shoot again. And that okay. applies to annuals as well as perennials. So I make sure that I will cut it. So if I'm using thyme, I'll cut down to, to where the leaf comes out again. So you get a little bush out. Yes. I don't just hack. So in between the nodes. I look, yeah, I look where I cut. So effectively, you, you, you're actually doing all the necessary pruning to get the plant into fine exactly fettle that. for the next exactly. production of flower yeah. or, or shoots. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. Yeah, and don't forget, um, if the plant is edible, then the flower is edible. Mm. So things like lemon verbena flowers are mm. absolutely delicious. So if you get that's lemon verbena into flower and want a flower that is divine, thyme flowers are divine, rosemary flowers are divine, lavender flowers are a bit strong. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I watched a chef actually cook with lavender the other day, and I thought, "Whoa, you're overdoing it." Uh, lavender can kill a meal. Lavender is the only herb that I would say seriously, seriously be careful in cooking. Don't don't use too much. Does it work the other way around? So I'm a great fan of eating viola flowers just because I love the peppery taste of them, but I've never eaten the leaves. Could I eat the leaves of the viola as well? Um, I'm not sure what they taste of, but I do know <laughs> that, that the black currant yeah. leaves make are absolutely fantastic to cook with. Okay. okay, yeah, and they have quite a distinctive aroma anyway. Oh don't yeah, they? yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. yeah. They make the most wonderful water ice. I make a water ice in that a sorbet. Mm. Jackie, you mentioned um, verbena. I'm, I'm growing a verbena, which I overwinter every year in my greenhouse, and it's it's doing really well. But it never ever flowers. And when you said about the flowers, I'm thinking, oh, okay, <laughs> I've never seen a flower on my uh, lemon verbena. Is there any any tricks with that? I, it's it's in a quite a small Why pot. Not? I don't know. I, I, I do feed it with. I do use a lot of um, good old uh, maxi crop in my own garden, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's in quite a reasonable sized pot, but it just doesn't want to produce flowers. Oh, what what size pot did you buy it in to begin with? It was in a it was in a, a probably a nine or a ten centimeter, and then I put it into a it's probably I, a 10, ten inch, twelve inch pot now, and it's probably about knee high. Yeah, well, not much for a flower this year, but mm-hmm. um, do you prune it? No, it's completely unpruned. It's just doing its thing. It's quite it looks quite shabby actually. It's lots of growth on it, but. Uh, Excuse me, why don't you prune it? I never really thought about pruning it, to be honest with you. It's one of those things I've just let, let well, we go. Well, pr- we prune ours, mm-hmm. all of ours, Okay. in April. And oh. if you go on my website, I think they put a video of me pruning. I mean, I am, I am really mean. As soon as it starts to shoot leaves, I will prune back okay. to about the second or third leaf node. I feel it with mm-hmm. my thumb. You can actually see where it is. Okay. And I'll prune back to there, right? And then you'll get masses of new growth. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you don't get you don't get enough to to harvest. Yeah. And uh, I've never. I mean, even my baby's flower, even my cuttings flowers. <laughs> oh I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. No. But it's, it's very, I don't know what you're doing. It's, it's, I'll come and inspect. Okay. I'll come I'll, up. I'll, and come I'll send up. you a picture when it flowers, then, Jackie. Yes. <laughs> But it's, it's, <laughs> anyway, you're, 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 you're being very mean to it, not pruning it. Okay, right. I've been officially told off. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <Bad notice>. yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
And do you have any views on the sort of potted supermarket herbs? Are you a fan of people doing Well, it? I mean, um, well, they nearly crucified me when they first came out because um, I used to do the, all the plant fairs and they get people come out, oh, I can buy that from Tesco's mm. for 50p. <laughs> yes, we get that. <laughs> yeah, so I had a, uh, that nearly crucified me. But then I decided the only way to survive that was to take them on. And so I only sell plants now in two-litre pots. Yeah. Um, that means I know that my shrub herbs will survive when people plant them out. Um, things like rosemary shouldn't be sold in a, a nine centimetre because quite often they'll keel over in the first winter. Uh, they should be at least in a litre. Um, and I don't want people disappointed. I think this, my whole life has been about, I don't want people growing plants and then losing them. It It's really, it's so sad. So supermarket herbs are brilliant for the cook who wants to add that herb to a dish. They're fantastic. I can't beat it. Um, I don't think the flavor is quite as good as I've done blind testing as with stuff grown with the sun because the sun and the weather brings the oils to the surface of the leaf, so they always taste that much better. But having said that, really and truly, supermarket herbs is brilliant. And what they do, I mean, you know, what is it, 22 days from seed to sale? I mean, amazing. Mm. Technology is amazing. And now you're going to ask me about these new factory herbs that are coming on, which are being grown without any light, without yeah, not even shipping in, containers. You know, yeah. um, yeah, I'm, I am concerned. I'm concerned that uh, it's not the cheapness or anything. It is the fact that... They don't have the flavour. You're not wrong. You really aren't wrong. You think back to when the Dutch started growing tomatoes hydroponically, and mm. yeah. even today, it's like okay, they are grown under the sun, but and then they're forced with extra light as well. Mm. I just totally agree with you, Jekka. The flavours aren't there. No, they, you need that goodness from the soil and all the the macronutrients and the micronutrients that they pick up from that. Mm. Yeah. That's what yeah. gives yeah. it the flavour. I mean, in, in, and and also, you know, with the greatest of respect, the 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 thing that makes a meal when you're well when you're cooking, you know, when you go into a supermarket, they have bread. You, you can smell bread baking quite mm-hmm. often, and yes. it makes you feel hungry. Okay, yeah. to feel hungry before you eat is really good. To have your mouth water before you eat is essential. It helps your digestion. Snacking means you've taken away that anticipation of food. Yep. So so the great thing about herbs is when you cook with herbs and you come anywhere near my house, you get the aromas of the food cooking. So by the time you sit down to eat, you are feeling hungry and your mouth is watering in anticipation. And therefore, you enjoy your meal so much better, and it's better for your digestion. So my my thing is that with the herbs that are cooked, grown without uh, soil, without light, great, you know, for city dwellers who can't get anything else, and great because they'll be so cheap. But how scary it is that that really that anticipation and 
that love of food and people saying, you know, how Mediterranean food tastes so much better. Well, there's your answer. It's grown in the sun, in the soil, yeah. Back to basics. Yeah. Yeah. Jackie, you grew up in a family who used herbs in the kitchen for cooking. Do you think herbs are the basis of making flavoursome dishes? I think we've sort of assumed that, but Peter and and myself are are keen foodies. Do you have a a particularly good recipe tip for us, perhaps for a a lesser-known herb, which might make our mouths water? Okay. I want to go back a a, a Mm. stage. Yes, my grandmother cooked with herbs. My mother cooked with herbs. My grandmother wrote a cookery book back in the 40s and 50s uh, and and a book about how to use uh, rationing um, in the war. Now, if we're going to have a food shortage, herbs are going to become really important because they, if you add something like winter savory or one of the savories to rice when you're cooking, or, or I now grow, it took me over 30 years to crack this, by the way, mm-hmm. how to grow the curry leaf in the UK without extra heat and extra light. Okay. That, it was called the Maria. Um, Maria Kiongi, it's now called Bergia Kiongi. Um, it's from Sri Lanka and from India. And I was given one plant many years ago, and now I've worked out how to actually grow it. And I've still got that one plant going 25 years or 35 years later. Yeah. Gosh, it's, it must be 35 years. Anyway, it, it, it just adds a few leaves to rice when it's cooking. Oh my gosh, that is just delicious and the scent is also delicious um you're talking about lemon verbena lemon verbena creme brulee oh great and then um and if you if you uh, put the crystallized sugar um uh, of the leaves if you crystallize them you know put them put them and put them in the oven and with a bit of sugar on oh and then put that on top of your creme brulee Brilliant. Uh, what else have I got that's on the go here that I love cooking with at this time of year? I have to come back to basil. Um, basil at this time of year is just so cool to, to make pesto, um, which is great. Oh, and wild rocket pesto is superb as well. And that's a great way of conserving it. I make vinegars all the time for use. Um, so I'll make myself a basil vinegar for later. Um, and then, of course, it's cocktail time of year. Uh, the other thing you can do with herbs, which is superb, is buy the cheapest gin you can possibly get hold of and then put your favorite uh, herb in the gin to infuse okay. for about a month. And then you've got, so I will put in, for example, I put in, um, I, I grow red rubin basil here. And so I I will make, um, I'll just pop that, the leaves of that into gin. And then I have pink gin that tastes of basil, you know, with, with the gin on top, which is very nice. The other thing, if you don't drink, you, this time of year is to make some syrups, um, which are wonderful. You can make a mint syrup, which is great for using with fruit. Um, I also make basil syrups. And uh, you, what you do is you, you uh, say have 150 mil of um, water, 150 mil of sugar, um, caster sugar, but, uh, on the heat slowly, bring it to the boil, stirring so it doesn't catch on the bottom, and then simmer it for a few minutes, take it off the heat, then add the herb that you wish. Now, one of the best herbs to add is bay leaves. So I'll add four bay leaves to that amount of liquid. 
I'd let it infuse uh, for about a couple of hours and then I'd test the flavor, just check the flavor. And then once I get to the, the, the syrup, to the flavor I like, because it's off the heat so you can do that, uh, it's, I will then take the bay leaves out and then put that into a sterile bottle and it'll keep for a couple of weeks in the fridge. That's if you don't make, which I do, um, basil ice cream. I mean, bay ice cream. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I mean, there's so many things you can do that people don't realize that, you know, herbs are much more than just pizza. And they certainly are, aren't they? And you've worked with some amazing chefs in your time, haven't you? And who would you say has taught you the most about how to get the best flavours in certain dishes by doing things you hadn't come across? Well, funnily enough, it's not a chef. It's not a chef. Okay. The person who got me to think outside the box much more was Mark Diacano. Right. Um, he wrote a, he's written a book on herbs. Um, and he came to my herb fest. He he's he's the one who actually uses herbs much more in a you know make uh, for pickling and for making all these kombuchas and things. You know he's much more sour. He wrote the book sour, and he um, also makes syrups like me. Um, but the I think the chef the chef who transformed herbs in the mind of the public was Delia Smith. Yeah. yeah. I will never, ever, ever forget her and her coriander. Oh, and I had to pot coriander by hand. Oh, thousands of them for the <laughs> garden centers. Bless her cotton socks. And then Jamie came on and stopped being precious about herbs and, you know, putting in a handful of this, a handful of that. And that was really liberating and really good. And yeah, you know, there was no more teaspoons, which there were, yeah, you know, in other yeah. yeah. Um, so he's been a great influence. And then, and recently, for me, working with Nathan Outlaw, who's the fish guy, yeah, yeah. you know, and how how he uses herbs with with fish. And I cracked how to grow the oyster leaf mertensis here, and um, that that is just the most beautiful herb. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a member of the Borghese family. Okay. Had silver, grey, blue leaves that taste mm. of um, of of oysters. Oh wow! Gosh, that's a interesting. Yeah, I should imagine the bees like it as well. Do they? When it's in flower? Yeah, exactly. They do. It's in flower now. So yes, I mm. mean, you know, it it is it is it is so. The world of herbs is huge, mm. and that's what people don't realise. Mm, definitely is. If we talk a little bit about uh, good old Borage the Gnome, obviously we, we, we chatted that he, he made his appearance at Chelsea a few a few years ago. My question really is, Jacko, is, is Borage still around and how is he doing? Oh, my gosh, yeah, he's in the office. He's such a pain. <laughs> yeah, he's in the office. He's, good. He's, he's good. still got a big head and that was 2009. Right. You know, and he's yeah. still got a big head. He's still wearing shades. Because oh. you know he doesn't want to be recognised. We made him some dark glasses, and he's wearing them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's he's good to hear. There. Yeah, great stuff. That's good. Brilliant. And uh, I believe before you discovered the world of herbs when you were a bit younger, music was your passion. We're intrigued. Tell us more about your experiences of playing in Glastonbury in the Isle of Wight Festival. Um. Yeah. Uh, yes. I landed up at art college because I failed English language seven times. 
Um, because uh, they didn't know about dyslexia in my era. And um, when at art college, I met a group. And so there I was in the end of the 60s, early 70s, in a heavy progressive rock band playing flute, sax and clarinet. Very interesting experience. Not particularly nice, but, uh, yeah, it was, um, I learned to grow up very quickly. And, uh, but it was, yes, we were the first group on at the very first Glastonbury. And uh, that was when Michael Evis built, the, the festival was held in September. And he built the stage out of uh, his milk crates with planks of wood on top and paid us in uh, hog roast and uh, milk. Um, (laughs) And we were the first group on. I did the Radio 4 uh, reunion program. And he said, yes, we really were the first. People think it was Stackeridge. Nope, it was us. Um, And then um, we also played at the Isle of Wight Bob Dylan and we were the one of the first groups on the main stage there and I'd never been so scared in my life. They opened the doors and people rushed towards the stage and I shook so much I didn't you couldn't hear my flute for the first two numbers. <laughs> um but I was very lucky. I I played at Ronnie Scott's, that was amazing. Yeah. I played at the Roundhouse, that was less amazing and very very scary. I played at the Paradiso in Amsterdam, that was stunning they built a stage over us we were very big in europe because half the group was french and um we we had uh because it was spring they'd covered the 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 whole frame in in flowers that was beautiful i remember that very well but then there was i remember being chased through uh we were munich that's right beer festival i was being chased through the town and so that was really scary. Yeah. So it, it, lots of interesting memories. Brilliant. And are you still playing your flute now? My daughter had my flute. My son had my clarinet. Excellent. Um, so no, no, I don't. I, I mean, I've still got one occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It stays with you though. Once I think once you've learned to play an instrument, well, you, as much as you can put it away for 20 years, you can still pick it up and make a tune out of it. Uh, that's yep. brilliant. <laughs> Jekka, you've won many awards uh, during your career. Which means the most to you and, and perhaps why? Uh, well, I'll come back again. It's the Lawrence Medal. Mm. Mainly because it was the first time herbs were really recognised and we were organic and we were heat free. And it was given to the award is made by the judges. And so, yeah, absolutely. That's rather special, yeah. Very special, very, very special. Thank you. Uh, Jekka, we always like to ask our dig it guests, you 